0: Ackerman, I run It's Urban Tech Vertical, and that's uh, a VC fund, and my vertical is Prop Tech and Construction Tech. I'm joined by Jeff Berman, who in addition to being a very funny guy, runs Camber Creek. Uh, we're going to focus on that part of Jeff's life. Mm. Uh, if you want to hear him do comedy, we'll get two ferns, we'll see what we can do, but we're not <laughs> doing that today. Uh, Jeff, you want to take a moment, say hello, and uh, tell them who you are, because sure. you're probably better at that than I am? You know what? I don't think so.
1: Uh, okay, benefit of the doubt. I am uh, Jeffrey Berman. I'm a general partner with Canberra Creek. We are, I believe, the one of the oldest prop tech VC firms on the planet. And we focus on technology for the built world that creates efficiencies primarily guided by our LPs, who are substantially all developers, owners, managers, et cetera, of real estate.
0: Great. So Jeff just killed the next three questions I was going to ask, but that's fine. So for all of you that are kind of worried, when he says one of the oldest, that's his way of saying someone out there is going to find some other firm that (laughs) kind of, sort of, was doing what they call prop tech a month earlier than me, and I don't want to be trolled. Truth is, he has been in this longer than anybody I know. So um, legitimately, legitimately, one of the, the old guard in the space. Cool. So you talk Technically, little... my partner Casey
1: is the founder of Canberra Creek. It, the genesis really came from his beautiful brain.
0: Which is Jeff's way of saying, no, he's older than me. I'm the younger one. No, no, no. He's younger than I am. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know than... that. But he
1: was president of operations at the real estate firm we were both working at, Got it. and so he had the thought about the problem set that was being faced on multiple levels, and that's
0: that is that formed the. So why don't we talk about that? Sure. So roughly when was it? When did Camber Creek get started, and what did, uh, for lack of a better word, the startup ecosystem in real estate look like then? So
1: that's a great question. I would say there are two answers. There's the informal answer and the formal answer. Informally- I want the one that
0: involves the cursing.
1: <laughs> Informally, Camber Creek had its genesis all the way back in 08, 09, mm-hmm. which is when Casey started understanding that one, real estate being the largest asset class on the planet made it ripe for disruption. Mm-hmm. Two, that for those of you uh, who remember, we were in the midst of a tiny little dislocation in the real estate market. And the firm that we were both working at, at the time, was buying new buildings, but was also cognizant of the fact that they had legacy buildings that were going to be competing against brand new glass towers that were going mm-hmm. to be trading for pennies on the dollar. And irrespective of the basis in the buildings, we don't have to get technical about valuation and whatnot, the, there there was no equilibrium there. Mm-hmm. So technology became a way to bridge that, that com- com- competition gap. Got it. And the syllogistic end to that was wait a minute we should look at investing in these companies while we're incorporating them into our workflows because we can create a double alpha situation and that was the uh, you're welcome
0: i'm i'm, I'm going to translate that um it was a crazy scary time they had a <laughs> lot of buildings they were nervous and then they got greedy ah in a good way yeah in a good way. Yeah. Sorry, I joke around that way. Jeff and I have done this for a while, so he's not going to get too offended. I hope. Um, okay. So, great time, great opportunity. I know, I know. Great opportunity. Uh, but because you were so deep on the operations side and you knew what would work for for basically owners like you, right? It gave you an insight into picking the startups that would probably do well, and why not get a piece of that on the upside? Exactly. And then what? And then what we recognized fairly
1: quickly, was that despite the fact that we worked for an organization that had a nice amount of assets, it really was not significant in the way, in, in, in the grand scheme of the total mm-hmm. real estate market, and technology requires a network effect. This is not news. So what we thought about was, hey, let's put together a fund with people who look like us, run by people like us. So now there are four partners. All four of us come from the real estate world. Our latest partner is uh, Mitchell Shear, who was yes. president and CEO of Ornado in DC. Uh, his claim to fame is uh, he has many, but I think the lasting one will be bringing Amazon uh, HQ2 to uh,
0: to Northern Virginia. Knock so, wood, we'll see about that. Um, I think these are because we because we've yeah they're pressed wood they're kind of knockable <laughs> yeah because New York kind of screwed that one up so it's all theirs now hey um, so. It's interesting you should say that. So even, you know, even the the number of units under management that your progenitor, you know, operating company had, as big as it was, you know, more is better when it comes to potential customers for startups. You need a statistically significant sample size,
1: at least for our investment criteria, Mm. that gives us conviction around what a company is providing the service or technology Mm -hmm. and their ability to ramp to a venture return. Those are the two qualifications. And if you're only basing it on a geographically hyper-specific portfolio that looks a certain way, that acts a certain way, you're not going to be able to get that. So now we have a very large, what we call beta lab, Mm -hmm. available at our disposal. And one of the unique... And primary differentiators between us and the and the cohort who is has who is, who is cropped up since our founding. You can call it like the 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 imitator. No, I wouldn't say that way or followers. I wouldn't say I would I would say I would say our colleagues in the space. Okay, you're the, right.
0: but the the things the thing that. By the way, I include myself in that. I got in there a lot of
1: years after you. Right, so. but there, but the space is so large that there is room for everybody, and there's and at least right now for the most part. This is a very collaborative mm-hmm. engagement and enterprise. And we looked at, at the type of LPs that we wanted to surround ourselves with, and we wanted them to look like us. We wanted them to be the decision makers, mm-hmm. and people understood real estate. Because that, in and of itself, if, I, if, I, if someone approaches me with an idea or a company, and, and our deal flow, fortunately, is extraordinary. One thing that we look for, and I know you're going to ask this question, but what are you looking for, is an understanding or a cognizance of what it takes to sell into real estate. So mm-hmm. many entrepreneurs don't understand that. And for us, for having all four general partners have an op- operational reference set in real estate, mm-hmm. we can very quickly understand and diagnose whether or not
0: X, Y, or Z company has a chance at performing the way they think they're going to perform. So I want to dissect that. There's at least three or four different questions on a sure follow-up. So number one, we talked a little bit about the similarity, but also the diversity of your LP set. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about what kind of assets they manage and what the geographies are to give, uh, you know, to give the audience an idea of what you mean by having sure. more and diverse data points? Without quoting a
1: specific number, it is a very large amount of square footage that uh, begins with a B. Got it. And it is primarily comprised of commercial office, retail, and multifamily assets dispersed around the United States. And the reason that's important, and I cannot overemphasize this enough, we see a number of companies that will approach us and say, we're a New York based company, Mm -hmm. we serve a New York market and that may be great. However, if we can't have a path to scaling that across our Mm -hmm. LP or across a ownership set that mimics our LP, then the ability to drive that venture return
0: inherently diminishes. I mean, it's even simpler than that. This is a near unique market or at least a very rarefied market. It's expensive. It's crowded. We've got all sorts of regulations. Right. What moves the needle for a, a New York landlord is not necessarily what moves the needle in Topeka, Kansas. Um, so sweet. So number one, you want to make sure that, and to put it in venture speak, the market size is big enough. Right. right? And part of the way you do that is you make sure it works in, in all or most geographies. Awesome. Uh, and you also answered the other question, different asset classes. So you touch multifamily and right. commercial as well. Uh, super no single-family right we have single-family home builders which mm-hmm. give us a
1: bird's-eye view into that world I so that. we will look one of our portfolio companies Curbio is focused on the single-family home market so we will look at that provided and maybe it will help if I talk about our investment criteria yeah.
0: so by the way there's people usually have two pools going on when we do these dream It lives Number one is when I'll drop an f bomb, which he's already done. So. Which I did off camera before, maybe on camera, depending maybe what on service you're on. And the other one is when I'm talking to a VC guest. When are they going to mention their first portfolio company?
1: Who had? I'm not wearing a watch. Know, but neither of us are wearing twelve watches.
0: something or other. Yeah,
1: this guy yep. right there. You nice. know who you are? But it's totally cool. That's right. good because
0: because specific examples are memorable. And just uh, we didn't cover this before, but most of the people who are watching today. Uh, they're Primarily founders. Mm-hmm. So so far, great. You're hitting on exactly yep. what they're asking. You know, how do they get in front of uh, the VC firm like Cambridge Creek? Why is Cambridge Creek different and arguably better than, say, a generalist or or a differently structured LP base? Uh, there are a couple of people out there that are also interested in the innovation side. Mm-hmm. Like they may be working for uh, a larger company and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to tap into innovation. Innovation. So. For them, when we get to it, maybe we'll, we'll toss a couple of suggestions to them about sure. how they can get to the companies or how they can assess companies like you do. Sure. So let's keep going with the example that uh, that you were on.
1: Well, I'll give you the investment criteria, and that will help inform Please. the rest of the conversation. So we ask ourselves two basic questions. hmm First question is, can we use this product software service within our portfolio matrix, which we define as the buildings that we and our LP owns, mm-hmm. the tenants, residents, guests, and end users who work, live, stay, utilize those buildings, you got it. and the vendors who serve all three. Mm-hmm. If you think about that mathematically, the amount of square footage that we have in our LP and the number of people and relationships that can be leveraged for the benefit of both our portfolio companies, and our LP. It's a massive number.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First question. The second question is, do we believe we can make a venture return? Yeah. Because regardless of the risk that we are mitigating by participating in what the company does and helping them grow in potentially in our LP even before we invest, i.e. partnering before we invest, we still have to be cognizant of the fact risk exists and we need to make a return commensurate
0: with the risk that we're taking at the stage that we're financing, which is primarily Series so A. It's not, you know, I would put it as, it's not enough that it's a great product and you would be a customer. Right. The business has to be great as well. It can't be because I, and I say this all the time to entrepreneurs, do
1: not be discouraged when people like us, and I'm thinking clearly of, of some of my friends in the space who I, and I'm happy to mention Who are that, less political than um, you are. I. No, I'm these are these are good friends of mine. Yeah. And when when we have similar reactions to specific companies, it's predicated on the notion that the business might be good. The problem is we don't see a venture return path. And so a number of these companies, a healthy majority, frankly, mm-hmm. venture financing isn't appropriate. Yep. We're in a startup culture now where raising money and the gratuitous raising of capital is celebrated. uh, The
0: bragging rights that
1: come with it. Which I I saw uh, Gary Vaynerchuk once. He's an expletive. I will not repeat exactly what he said. I'll get there. But I liked the message that he sent to founders Mm -hmm. and VCs, frankly, was don't celebrate when you raise money. That's when you should be most nervous, because now you have to execute. Now you have to answer to somebody. Right. And so, uh, Great many of the companies that come into our inbox will check box number one. Okay, and box number one is good product. Is the product, software, or service Got fit? It. The vast majority will
0: not check box number two, and the vast minority will check both. So wait, that's, wait, let's, let's talk about box number two, because there's a lot of reasons why it would be maybe not a venture business. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I tell my founders the same thing. Like A lot of people get rich in companies that are not good for venture. Right. You can bootstrap it from yep. revenue. You can max out your credit cards. Uh, but let's break down like why they aren't. So a sure. uh, couple ideas. I'll just throw them out there. Market size may not be there. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe they're a New York only company. Right. Uh, maybe The what? competitive set. Competitive set. So they're okay. But then they might not the be mo- Here's
1: the most important thing. Sure. And this dovetails with the question I think you're going to ask later, which is what can an entrepreneur or founder do to stand out? Here's a really simple one. Do your homework. Understand the competitive set. Mm -hmm. Understand the market you're going after and try to figure out what the sales ceremony looks like when you're trying to sell into real estate. The worst thing I've seen is when people come in and assume they're going to have hockey stick growth and have no reference set for how real estate acts. That's a fool's errand. And the... the the best entrepreneurs understand the right amount of money that they need to raise, because it's a function of how long they're going to have to continue selling. What that sales it's cycle? It's a long looks sales like. cycle. Who it's do you reach long... to? How
0: quickly do they convert? Exactly. Will you invest in any company that doesn't have uh, prior real estate experience? Because for me, when I see no prior real estate experience, I know for a fact they're going to fail that last test.
1: That's an interesting question. I'm not saying we wouldn't. We have a number of portfolio companies where the founding team has adjacent experience to real estate. Because whether, for instance, Bowery, right? So so Noah and John, co-CEOs, co-founders of Bowery, were appraisers. So they didn't necessarily have real estate experience, development experience. But they understood having gone through the process of but the their business analog, is about the appraisal. Exactly. Okay. So I, I, but I, I, meant but broad so that, experience, more broad. No, but it's, so. It, so yeah. it's in that sphere. I think that the, the majority of entrepreneurs who are backing that come to this business do so because, again, the ones that we're backing because they live the do problem. so because they under, exactly. They live the yeah. problem. There, there are <laughs> there are folks that, that don't and happen to get
0: lucky. But uh, that's like filling it inside straight. I don't I bet completely that agree. Hey, before I forget, if you're still listening, which I hope you are, otherwise I'm talking to a, just a crazy, dumb camera, and you have questions for Jeff or me, mostly Jeff. I'm a crazy, Jeff. dumb camera? Uh, no, I'm, we're looking right at a camera, and I assume people are still camera. Fine. Of all the things we can argue about, <laughs> we're going to argue about other things. Um, if you have questions for Jeff, please enter your questions into the, the commentary of whatever, uh, you know, whatever platform you're on. We'll gather them together, and I'll put it on my screen. And I will ask those questions before we break, at least as many of them I can, before Jeff weak bladder insists you gotta leave the room. I drank a lot of yeah. water. before. We may I came be in. under time constraints. I will uh, tell you, yeah. folks, that's
1: actually a, a really good tip. Drink a lot of water in the morning. <laughs> Energizes you.
0: It does. Tea. Okay. Water. Okay. Free advice worth what you pay. Advice. Okay. Let's get back in. So we talked about check the boxes as a. As a product doesn't mm. mean necessarily or check the box as a business uh you talked about how they can stand out which by the way you absolutely do your homework i can't tell you how annoying it is when i get pitches for startups <laughs> that if they took two seconds to look at my site they would realize not for me that's
1: another thing i don't want to get overly animated this is me overly animated yeah yeah I, i'm going to move
0: back a little bit
1: i don't want to get overly uh, animated about this point but if you are pitching a vc do the Bare minimum, and look at their website. Try to find out what they've invested in before. Try to pretend, at least, to be interested in what they've done before outside of your company. And I understand there's a there's a myopia when it comes to founding teams saying, "Look, we just have to get the money." I get that, and I don't yep. I don't hold it against people when they don't do their homework, but it is a red flag that I say, okay, well, what else are
0: they missing? Exactly. For me, it seems like getting money for your company is one of the most important things you can do. It's oxygen, right? And if you treat that casually, you just get on HubSpot, automate a blast and spray and pray. I wonder how you're going to sell, right? So if that's the way you approach fundraising, that's the way you approach sales, that's a yellow flag for me. Interesting. Um, But enough about me. Let's get back in here. I wanna flip the question here. Uh, I wanna go into how you use your LP base. So when you find a startup that's interesting to you, Mm -hmm. do you always demo it internally before investing or is it ideal that you do it? Uh, How how does that play out? Is it a formal process or informal? Like let's all talk about it, raise our hands if we're interested. We have a formal
1: process. Everything that we do at Canberra Creek is deliberate and thoughtful. Mm I, that's not a canned answer. It's... No, follow, it's a deliberate
0: and thoughtful answer.
1: Following process ensures that we mm-hmm. maintain rigorous orthodoxy to our investment discipline. Got it. That's why we've invested in so few deals over the lifespan of Canberra Creek, because we're a sniper. And so every deal is going through that process, which is iterative, because not every company resembles every other company. Yep. So what we have with our statistically significant sample size of buildings available to us is this repository of both practical knowledge and actual in-practice physical testing, mm-hmm. which we can modulate up and down whether how how deep we need to get in. So I'm happy to give an example. Yeah. But right, the- please.
0: Um, Examples
1: make it concrete. Sure. So. I'll use Bowery uh, because we okay. already spoke about them. With Bowery, we were able to run a mock appraisal on an LP's building that had recently been appraised. And you had the actual appraisal exactly. So and we were able to exact, That's exactly it. Wow. So by replicating that a number of times and ensuring that we had a consistency of, of process and a consistency of performance. That gave us the conviction that Get comfortable that said, with the actual quality
0: exactly. of the product. And they've grown quite a bit since we've so invested. So I will tell you from my perspective, I've seen it not, not in Bowery, but the best startups have thought about what that test looks like and have come to the VC with it. So let's say you are a startup like Bowery in this case, you could come to the VC and say, hey, I know that you run you know, these multifamily properties give me a building. I will assess them all. Give me, you know, a hundred units that have had recent assessments. I'll run it on them. Like if they came to you like that, that's the kind of sales pitch that would not, sales pitch or the the
1: flip, the flip side of that though is that we have to be cognizant of the fact that our LPs look at us as a gatekeeper. And this is a very important Mm -hmm. function because a lot of real estate developers and many of you probably have experience with this, where you're saying, look, capital's capital. Right? So we're going to get capital wherever we can find it. But all capital is not equal. And strategic capital is typically an advancement compared to what I would call... Well, it's money plus. Right, exactly. So going... Every founder, every entrepreneur, every company worth their salt is knocking on every door they can, mm-hmm. saying, listen, you should be using my product software or service. The flip side is... That most developers, owners, managers are not equipped to dissect whether or not this company has what it takes to make the venture return. So our LPs look at us and say, "Listen, X company approached us, and we might say, we have seen Y number of companies that are in the space. We have not invested in the space. Here's our read on the space right now, providing them with that advice. So it's it's also the mirror of we're prov- we're helping them with their technology mm-hmm. decisions as much as they're helping us.
0: Yep. So you touched on this point twice. So let me jump into it a little bit. And I think it's something that a lot of the entrepreneurs uh, probably haven't thought about. But as a venture fund, you need to think about your obligations to your LP. So in one case, you were just talking about they're busy, they don't in many cases get the startup world to the depth that you have they don't have the perspective on it so you're acting as a gatekeeper a little Mm -hmm. bit of a filter so it's fine for them to ask you you know hey this is what we do we'd love to do this demo with you know pick a building Uh, but you may actually say no i don't think it's even worth doing it you have to preserve your lp's badly. absolutely so that was great and the other thing you brought up which i thought was interesting and i wanted to stress is staying on your thesis because you've committed to your LPs, sometimes right. contractually as part of your limited partner agreement, when they right. put money in the fund, and sometimes more of a handshake. This is what we focus on. So that's why it's so critically important to the entrepreneurs to actually look at the website. Yes, because they may come to you with, I don't know, make this up, a, const- a hardcore construction tech startup. Right, and that's not where you're playing. Uh, and it's not that you don't want to invest in it. It's not like they can make you love them more. It's that you've promised your LPs. You're looking at this. Well, well, we will look at. I think the the buzzword is contech. We
1: can. Yep. We have. We have enough of an LP base in the construction sphere that we can properly diligence. Okay. The so, so
0: insert like maybe but, retail tech. But I. But I right? get you
1: or broker tech or broker. We tech. see. Good we example. see a lot of of broker deal flow. We have a number of high profile brokers in our mm-hmm. in our LP. The difference is because of the way that brokers right now assimilate new technology and pay for it it's not necessarily apropos for what
0: what we do okay so some of these are thematic based on your read of what parts of the world you want to be in part of the prop tech world right but if it's outside of prop tech like your commitment to your lp is this is what we invest in right right so it's important that the that the entrepreneurs know that like to a certain degree your hands are kind of tied on some of these descriptions some of these uh decisions as to where you can invest um I want to that's shift.
1: really for their own time. Yeah. I, I, love, I love seeing opportunities that are adjacent to what we look at. I can't spend a lot of time on them because mm-hmm. they're not in our core discipline. That being said, an opportunity is an opportunity. So it's not necessarily bad mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs to try and spray and pray themselves to see if really? they can get money. The question becomes, it's a function of time.
0: Their time? Or their your time. Their time.
1: That's no, because our time, I'm the judge, I'm the arbiter of whether or not I'm going to spend my time looking at something that may or may not have a direct correlation with, with the, my day-to-day. The question also for the entrepreneur, though, is I have a finite amount of time to raise this money. My, the pressure is, is, well, I've got X
0: number of dollars in the bank. Yep. I've got Y number of months left in capital. I, I have this much fuel left in the plane. Right. Got it. So that really, it's for them. It's like they should understand where they're a long shot and where exactly. they're the bullseye. Exactly. Um, we talked a lot about the value that smart money brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think about corporate venture funds? Right. So generally speaking, just for the sake of the audience, mm-hmm. these are funds that are set up by a large corporation. It's their own money. It might be a, an actual VC fund or it might mm-hmm. be off their balance sheet, meaning like just out of the general budget. Uh Their value prop, the highest level seems kind of similar. It's like, hey, you know, we're a large company. We can be one of your referenceable customers. Come to us. What are the pros and cons to that from your perspective?
1: I don't think I'm qualified to debate the merits of a corporate VC strategy because it depends on the corporation.
0: Let's start from the entrepreneur's perspective. So
1: from the entrepreneur's perspective, depending on the corporate VC, and that's that's why I'm that's why I'm saying this. It's yeah. it. The answer is it depends. Okay. So so let's drill down. It depends it, on. Let, let's say let's say, not going to name any names, but there are a number of, there are a number of corporate VCs. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to say the the genre. Okay. That I would say are less qualified to be a corporate VC because their reach is so is is so minuscule compared to the wider market that if you have a you choice. These,
0: what do you mean in, in terms of what they see in the market? Like how many different startups they're able to look at or the types of asset classes or something else?
1: Or the type of assets they can bring to a potential portfolio company.
0: Got it. So So they may be hyper specialized. Exactly. So
1: if you look, for instance, uh, Latch is one of our portfolio companies. And the round before last was led by Brookfield Ventures. Got it. So Brookfield has a critical mass Mm -hmm. of space where Latch can be deployed. So they were capital plus plus. Mm -hmm. They are an example of an adroit corporate VC that I
0: think is on the wish list for any entrepreneur to be able to crack into. So let, let's make this really actionable for the audience. So if you're looking at a corporate venture fund, mm-hmm. you gotta do the same kind of drill down into w- how many assets do they have, what kind of assets, what do they play out for as a potential customer? And player. also
1: where do they invest? Are they invest? What At what stage are they investing? As a pre-seed angel or even seed company, you may not get the attention that you want from the corporate VCs because they may be looking at a little later stage in order to have less risk associated with
0: the off-balance sheet in investment. So, what kind of, how would you, what kind of tells are there for an entrepreneur when they're looking at a corporate venture fund, stage-wise, where they're playing, whether they're too early or too late? I'm not qualified to answer that. We're not a
1: corporate VC, so I can't. I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what cues they should be looking for when they're talking to someone so at, at one of those. From,
0: from our perspective, like we use Crunchbase a lot to mm-hmm. see uh, how much startups have raised previously to see if they're in or out of our strike zone. Right. I would, I would imagine, I think it's fairly simple. If you're an entrepreneur, get on Crunchbase, see that investor, see where their initial checks have been. Mm-hmm. Like they may invest in like a C and a D round of a company, but only if they were in the right. A and they followed it up. So look for that first right. investor. Understand who you're who you're going after. Yeah. If their if their earliest investments were nothing smaller than $10 million rounds and you're raising in a seed round, probably not a good fit. Right. Okay, so we talked about the reach of their underlying uh, port, their underlying asset portfolio as a potential customer. We talked about the stage they invest in. What would be something else that an entrepreneur should look at when they're considering whether this corporate venture fund is a money plus plus or I don't money minus for lack of a better word.
1: Look, money's money, so I think at the end of the day, if the investor has the opportunity to be choosy about who they're putting on their cap table, you mean the, if the entrepreneur has if the a, entrepreneur. Sorry, what did I say?
0: Investor. Thank
1: you. That's Great. okay. Now we're
0: even. I, I with actually, jet lag on stage. I actually said, developers are always looking for a way to decrease NOI. Yes, and, that's exactly right. like. Are you, you know, drunk or stoned? That's good. Thank you. We're even now. We are even. Uh, it's, see, it's all worth it for me. I don't know about you guys, but this has been great. The investments that you're looking at today, mm-hmm. uh, what, I guess, subsectors or what themes are you looking at? And you're like, these are just now getting ripe. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're not like things you've invested in a year ago and that's already you know, kind of out there and people are looking at. But what are just coming over the horizon? You're know, like... I will likely pick one of these guys within Mm -hmm. the next year. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you that. Okay,
1: Uh, tell me the ones that I I just missed. For a number of reasons, Okay. primarily because I don't, we have a top down and bottoms up approach to investing. And what folks really should know, and this just Mm -hmm. goes back to the LP base, is that we are LP driven. We're looking at the problem sets that are extant in our LP base. Got it. And if you think about the gamut of activities mm-hmm. that a developer, a contractor, a broker, a consumer, that that continuum, almost every aspect can be digitized in some sense. So we're looking right now at companies that, Play a part in creating efficiencies there. I know I'm being deliberately vague. Yeah, ambiguous. And I apologize. I would say that we're focused on multifamily, we're focused on commercial office, we're focused on hospitality and driving efficiencies there. The, the, the I would say, longer themed mm-hmm. uh, companies that we're, that we're looking at, urban mobility is something that, that fascinates Got me. Got we have not made an investment in our mobility yet, primarily because it hasn't been
0: a need to have from our from our LPs. But it's something that we're certainly paying attention so to. It sounds like, and I think you'll be okay answering this: that um, the way you do your like very tactical, like what's about to be ripe, is you're building it up from like what your LPs are complaining most about. Right. Like we really need something that, and I'm making this up. Uh, decreases application fraud so we don't end up kicking people out. And if that bubbles up as, as kind of one of the mutually bigger problems. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example, please. Uh, with one of our portfolio companies. So Nestio
1: is a leasing and marketing software platform for multifamily. And they recently, back in November, released a new product that was driven by their own customers, which was, mm-hmm. hey, we need to figure out how to simplify the the leasing funnel. Yep. For leads, well, they called the new system Funnel. And the idea is that you start at the top of the funnel and you winnow yeah. your way down. And their smart system allows the real estate owner, operator, manager to do it in a more efficient way without as many people gunking up the system. So that, but that was something, that was an evolution of their of their product set. So I would say... Anything that's creating efficiencies in, and, and if, you're, if you're a real estate tech entrepreneur and you have a company that, so I'm sure you're seeing a lot of these tenant experience companies. Yep. Right. So,
0: both on the commercial and the residential right.
1: side. Right. So, first thing you should ask yourself is okay, well, what does my service, and I'm using that word deliberately because some call themselves platforms, mm-hmm. some call themselves services, How, what's my differentiator? Am I eliminating friction? Right? That's yep. that's pretty key too. And so we continue to look for companies that fill out that answer. And and sometimes the answer is, by the way, this isn't that big of a problem
0: right now. Yep. If you're not one of the top three or four problems for a customer, you're probably gonna get and a, it, you know, let's keep talking, but and not a contract.
1: And I would say I would say that something that people should pay attention to is where we are in the real estate life cycle itself.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. Do you consider where we are now um, kind of typical? Do you consider it frothy? Do you consider it stressed? We're we're in an
1: unprecedented category at the moment, fueled by protracted periods of, some would argue, artificially low interest rates, Mm -hmm. which has meant that there is a development boom actually this is this is this is interesting if I do say so myself. so one of our other portfolio companies, Y hotel, was created out of a necessity that had its genesis in the fact that there were so many cranes in the sky, so many new units mm-hmm. coming uh, coming online so for those that are not familiar with Y hotel, one of the most fraught parts of the residential real estate multifamily real estate development life cycle is when you've completed the building, and you have a construction loan that you're looking to move to perm financing, and now you have your lease up. Got right? it. So you have a certain amount of vacancy loss that you're, that you're getting charged to get yourself for the month mm-hmm, until the mm-hmm. building is stabilized. Well, it stands to reason that in an environment where more and more units are coming online, there's more pressure on the market, downward pricing, plus units are going to stay on the market longer. So Jason and Bao, the founders of Y Hotel, Thought to themselves, huh, what if we create a pop-up hotel product that as the occupancy goes up, the hotel bleeds down until it disappears? What makes them unique versus some of their, and I'll use this word purposefully also, erstwhile competitors, because they're not really yeah. competitors, is they're not leasing the apartments from the developer, so they're taking no lease risk. That was an mm-hmm. innovation that was just their own. So now, pulling back to our conversation about yeah. what we're looking at, they took a problem that was a symptom of the environment that we're in where we are in the real estate life cycle we still have cheap money which means that people are chasing yield so if you are in the hospitality world the value prop has to be how are we driving revenue 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 expense reduction is less important in multifamily how are we filling the apartments faster yep how are we maintaining the occupancy amount how are we understanding if there's an opportunity to pull more capital, pull more money out of our residents by offering other services? These are the, are, the, are the ingredients that should go into the thinking of, of a- let,
0: let, me, let me see if I can, there's a lot in them, so I can yes, there. So I'd simplify it for, I think what you were saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, is when we're in a part of a cycle where uh, there's excess capacity, because there's been a sustained period of, of building, and when, you know, in that situation, the developers, top of their mind is, how do I get my building to 50, 50 plus percent occupancy? Because then I can refinance my loan. That's a major point. Specifically for multifamily, yeah, case, 70%, et oh, 70%. Right. So where, how can I get to that next milestone when everyone else has empty units coming online? Then if you have a solution that's targeting right. how to fill those new units fast, that's gonna resonate more. And then you need to have
1: the the second question in mind, which is the venture return. How big is the market? Is the market large Let enough? Let me get to that, because I you know, my
0: buffer fills really quickly. I'm sorry. You know that, especially when I'm sober. So if you have <laughs> a product that's aimed at filling those units in a period of excess capacity, that's gonna be one of the top problems. Right. You'll get your foot in the door a lot faster than if you're selling, say, uh, the ability to increase rents or decrease, your operating costs, which might be more top of mind when you're in a, you know, maybe a, a capacity constrained market. It's, I don't think it's that easy to, to pigeonhole. Okay. You have to
1: you have to understand who you're going after as well.
0: If okay. you're going after a fee manager,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking multifamily. Well, they are not as concerned about expense reduction as well, they are a pass through for that exactly as they are about top line. So understand your audience. That's,
0: that's yeah, really what it that's is. That's very cool. So now, if you're selling to the leasing office, pitch, right. how can I get higher rents rather than how can I reduce? But understanding
1: where we are in the cycle is also important because how many buildings are trading now? Again, it depends on what these companies are doing. If I, if I had a specific example, if there's a company out there that wants to ask specifically how I would think about this, I'm happy to entertain. You're, cool. The, I'll read it off to you. Sure. you. You don't have to squint at that. The, uh, I definitely cannot read that. Um, my glasses are over there. But I would say that we are in an interesting environment where there is an unprecedented amount of capital.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's capital everywhere. And it's chasing yield, which means, one, startups that really have no business getting venture funding are getting venture funding. Mm-hmm. Two, money is being spent in directions that will will just, statistically speaking, likely not pan out because of the plethora of other competitors in in, yeah. in any given. You, if you're side. back in the fifth company that's doing right. whatever. So so it's having that critical eye and and, and look I, I like this might be helpful. We're looking for investments for companies mm-hmm. that are not necessarily cyclical, that are that are inelastic to the economy as as much as they can be. We do have mm-hmm. companies that that are, but I bucket the companies we look at in, in threes. The first is, are they nice to have or need to have? Absolutely. Right? Now, every company is going to think they have a need to have, but there's a really simple way of answering that question. Call up a developer, call up a multifamily owner, call use your network and try to see like, hey, does this resonate with you? And if you get anything but a yes, oh my gosh, we could use that, Maybe you're barking up the wrong tree or maybe it's a good
0: service. Yeah. So before you hit the other two, I'll tell you a funny story. Like Please. in other, that's eh, not that funny. I'll lower it in the bar a little bit. In in other industries, like if you ask people, would you like this? Would you buy it? They'll be like, oh, I love that, it's great. Because for whatever reason, like no one wants to tell you your baby's ugly. Uh, if you then ask them, well, what do you think about other, you know, insert category there? Right. Now, oh, those guys are cheap bastards. Like, you know, they're not gonna pay for it. They won't get it like I do. Right. That second answer is probably a better indicator. 100%. The exception to that rule is real estate. Developers will tell you to your face that your baby's ugly. Don't worry about it. Right. That's that's yeah. the truth. So the second bucket is, is this a platform company
1: or is this a niche company? Uh, the way I define a platform company is one that's going to own a category. So our portfolio company, VTS, would be, a, would, be an example of a, mm-hmm. of a platform company. The third bucket is whether it's pure play software or business innovation. Y Hotel is a technology-enabled company, but they're not a tech company. But they innovated a space of the multifamily stack that needed innovating, and they've grown quite a bit since that initial funding round.
0: I I, I call that the thin gray line between... A real estate startup with tech on top versus a tech startup, in a real right. and, estate the, startup. and then how exactly and how that gets valued. Yeah. Is. And by the way, you need to know whether the VC you're talking to plays both sides of that fence. Yep. How do, how do opportunity zones factor into your, in, into your calculus? Are there opportunities, no pun intended, there for startups that interest you? Or is it you know, like, hey, that's nice, but it's really kind of tangential to your thesis?
1: I would say it's related. The caution would be that there are still so many so there's still so many unknowns about how opportunity zones will work out, and because I'm not a developer anymore, I haven't spent enough time to know whether or not uh, that's that's actually a, a large enough business. I I have some caution around that. But I'd be curious to see what, what you're thinking about.
0: So I wish I could remember who told me this. Years ago, I saw a VC pitching. He's like, he talks about an investment he's in. And he says, and we were we were too early. And then he kind of pauses and says, you know what the difference is between being too early and wrong? It's like, not a damn thing. <laughs> so I, I think what I'm hearing from you is like, it's a little too early for you at this point to, to look at a startup where their entire business is based on... Oh, on the opportunity, the opportunity, zone. opportunity zones. Okay. Um, what do you think there's a... Um, there's kind of a theory out there that certain startups scale in a non-linear way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by non-linear, I'm also going to include like not just the ones that have kind of a logarithmic approach, but sometimes they kind of chug along and then all of a sudden something happens and they boom, they jump, like step level. Do you see that um, do you see that playing out in reality or in the prop tech space? Is it a little bit more like you know, you're gradually making progress and then the slope of the line starts getting better and better as you start you know, getting more momentum? Is there kind of that nonlinear kind of explosive yeah, I would, or is it more I, normal I would, our world?
1: I would say, no, I, I would say the, the, the former and specifically because real estate's difficult
0: to sell into. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it, it doesn't have that profile. So you, you see a lot of the times where they're kind of just chugging along and something clicks and they jump. Mm-hmm. So what, what are, when you dig into it, is there a single cause or is it just kind of a tipping point? And if there is a single clause, what are those hmm. things that suddenly make it, you know, they've done it? They've I would say it.
1: I would say the, the in general, this yeah. is a gross generality, but in general, when the market itself becomes aware of something that going to that first bucket is a need to have, mm-hmm. and then says, Well, why would I ever do this the old way when it's frictionless? And that's another important word, frictionless mm-hmm. to do it the new way, that's when you'll start to
0: see that pop. So it feels like there's almost two pieces of that. Um, when a product is or becomes frictionless, like they figured out a way that makes adoption easy, mm-hmm. combined with a little bit of that tipping point, like suddenly critical mass, the buzz starts showing up, then you see those big jumps. Yep. And you do see it in PropTech. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Where do you set the bar on uh, proof points, right? So some, some VCs are like, we've got it. They got a little bit of early traction. I believe in it others are like listen i i need to be x percent more certain and and how do you get there
1: Well, it's empirical it's that's through the the beta lab so a company that i'm looking at right now which i will not name uh because you know we're recruiting right now i am they would not be uh, appropriate for you guys. Okay, perfect. Um, Thank you. No, well, I, I, I keep an eye towards I that. Know, I know. When, we're not on,
0: when we're not on camera, no, we, we do talk.
1: No, right. There are, there, are, there are folks, when they ask about Dream It and the Dream It program, there is a specific type of company that really fits that mold that you can help them, you in your very unique way. Helping helping them foster their uh, a, a path to growth.
0: I think that was a compliment. I'm going to take it that no, way. It, it, so by the way, when we tell you do your homework, we do it on each right. other too. That's, like that's nothing annoys right. us when some when, when a colleague will say, "Hey, will you look at this?" And we're like, "Dude, you know I don't do that."
1: Right. I completely agree, and then the, we'll keep it to ourselves. Right. So the so this company this is a this is a difficult path for me to figure out at the outset how well they're going to fit within our LP matrix but until i get that conviction even though i think the value prop of this company is very compelling i would lean against investing
0: so it sounds like it's a bit of a sliding scale right there's some companies where you look at them and you just know we just know it's going to fit and for them, you'll take a little bit more of a flyer without running through a formal...
1: No, no, it'll always go through the formal process. Okay. Because, because the, remember... Well, maybe not as
0: long a process.
1: That's, that's accurate. Because there are companies we've looked at, um, one in specific that's coming to mind, that we baited their uh, product for six months. Got it. And after utilizing it for six months, we realized that the engineers in each one of these buildings could do a better job... Without this company's service, they just Oops. had, well, they just had to become aware of the issue, ah. and once they were aware, so we said to this specific company, "This is great." However, our LPs have demonstrated that they don't need it; that they could do this themselves. Which that took six months for us. You've
0: educated the market, but you haven't sold your product, right?
1: It, it's, it's it's
0: look, and that happens. Yeah,
1: there are other. Pro, there are other products there are other services bowery was quicker because it was it was much easier to test so against you can retrofit it I means you could do it right away you didn't have to wait right. 6 months it's for exa- results. exactly exactly but only once we had that data over 6 months we weren't going to invest before we had a Got full it. complement of data so that's why sometimes it if if someone comes to us and says you're on the gun then i
0: say okay this isn't for us because we're going to run our process every time. What's the shortest period of time between meeting a company and writing a check for you guys? I would say I would say a, a month. It could yeah. be faster. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have guessed. Well, you would have thought that was
1: too short or too, too short. long? I would have
0: guessed, given your process, it would have so, been measured in months. So
1: the third company we invested in out of Fund 3, which is still in stealth, so I can't mention yeah. it, that was the fastest because the problem that they are solving is so huge and until the founding of this company no one else was doing it and it was it was it this blew our minds and we were able to put it in front of 10 different very large lps every single one of them said yep yep
0: yep 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 and you know and you're happy about it but then also you feel a little stupid it's like oh my god why am i just now figuring this out well it's in a good way.
1: The 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 interesting thing is we helped we helped I- ideate this company with the uh, with the founder. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between the idea and having the being adroit enough in technology to be able to actually produce something. Yeah, so, it's a
0: difference between zero and one. Yes,
1: yeah, so there. That's exactly right.